0: Hello everyone, welcome to The Steve Hilton Show. Um, We've got the anatomy of another scandal uh, coming up for you later in the show. It's really shocking. I mean, it's not shocking because it's California. But this one, the details really matter. Uh, Congressman Jay Obanolti is here. Um, You may have read his piece about this. It involves the failure of the state of California to meet its obligations to repay money that is owed to the federal government um, as a result of extra help that was sent to California to help with unemployment during the pandemic. So this is yet another scandal involving the employment department, the EDD. It's a different scandal to the one you've heard about. It is already affecting every single business in California. And Congressman Obernolte is here with us to lay it all out, to explain how it happened, why it happened and what he's trying to do about it. You've got got to hear the details. It's really, really unbelievable. I think it was our friend Susan Shelley, again, who first uh, alerted me to this. Susan joins us now because, as we said on our previous episode, you can't get enough of Susan. There's too much to talk about. She does the work. She gets into the details, and it's so informative. So Susan is back with us. But just before we talk about some of the things that I wanted to um, follow up with you on in this episode, this 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 uh, story involving federal unemployment insurance, and and then Congressman Obanotti's been all over it. I think you 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 were the first to alert me to that. Is that am I get, remembering that correctly?
1: Hey, that could be. Well, the story with this is that if you can't make your unemployment payments, you have to borrow money from the federal government, and then that has to be paid back. And if it's not paid back, then employers are charged an extra premium. Yes. So all of that fraud. That 30 to 40 billion with a B dollars of fraudulent claims that were paid out will have to be recouped by the employers. And if we haven't paid back our full loan to the federal government, which we haven't, then there's an extra charge on the employers. I
0: mm-hmm. know. It, and that's what's happening. It's yeah. absolutely amazing. I mean, uh, yet another. It's this combination of the Democrats, this, the extremism and the incompetence. Yes. It's absolutely deadly. Um a couple of things that i wanted to talk to you about um this time if, if people are following um closely you you remember we had a great conversation last time uh with susan about this absolutely astonishing uh, process of the uh of the blank bills that get passed in the legislature um one one of the impacts of that is this scheme uh to charge for electricity by income uh, and i mentioned that there's a couple of other things going on that, uh, that we wanted to discuss with with you susan one was the um what they're trying to do to the ballot initiative process itself overall and we had an announcement uh that the current lieutenant governor of California Eleni Kunalakis um is running for governor governor she announced her campaign it's 2026 is the election but she's in there already we haven't even had 2024 but she's out with with her announcement so we'll get to that in a second. But first of all, tell us what they're trying to do with the ballot initiative process. Well,
1: this is always very disturbing. The The Constitution of California since 1911 has had the direct democracy power of referendum and initiative and recall. Well, everybody knows what the recall is. The initiative is the, avi- the ability of voters to write and enact laws on the ballot mm-hmm. without lawmakers, without the legislature. Referendum is the ability to reject a law that has been enacted Mm. by the legislature. Well, the SEIU California unions have they were they worked very hard to get this fast food sector act passed in the legislature, which creates a a sort of a union office in the in the government to enforce wages and working conditions and to set them. It's absolutely amazing. Just
0: to stop on that for a second, because we have talked about it for those who missed it, this is really, really uh, extreme. I mean, this is taking this is this is taking us back to the kind of situation that I recall. I mean, I, I was young, too young to experience it. But I remember that the political arguments around it later back in the UK in the 1970s, when the UK was slipping into total economic disaster and decline just before Mrs. Thatcher came along to rescue Britain um, from that. And this was a feature of life there. There they called it corporatism. And basically the concept was that in the bi- industries were run in this tripartite manner, that was the phrase they used, in this the, the, this with the government, the unions, and the employers, doing it together. And this is basically what they've introduced here for the fast food exactly. sector, which is that these key business decisions right. are made in partnership with the government, the unions, and the and the, and the business. Exactly. It's just amazing to think that this is now the law in California. But that's what they passed for the fast food sector. And as we discussed at the time, um, it, it's not just about fast food. This is a template because this is how it always happens. They start with one thing and then it extends and extends because they want to control the whole
1: economy. You're exactly right. And that's why this is such a war over this particular law. So the law was enacted. The industry sued. There was a ruling last December to freeze it, but then there was also a referendum. The industry Mm -hmm. paid to have signatures collected to put a referendum on the November 2024 ballot. SEIU contended and filed complaints with the Attorney General and the Secretary of State that people were lied to in order to get them to sign these petitions. Now, whether that's true or it's not true, the result is this new law proposed by Isaac Bryan Uh, This is, Mm -hmm. let me see, it's Assembly Bill 421, and it would create all kinds of new restrictions about collecting signatures. And this is an infringement on your direct democracy powers. They're intentionally trying to make it more difficult, more expensive, more time-consuming, slower. And what this law would do that I find really disturbing is it requires professional signature gatherers to register with the Secretary of State Get a number, wear the number on a badge, put the number on their petitions, and then if it's found or determined somehow that they said something that the state doesn't think is accurate, how do we how do we patrol that? All of the signatures that that person collected will be disqualified, even though they were valid voters, even though they should have been counted under the law, they will be disqualified because the signature collector was determined to have said something that the state doesn't think was true. This is very, Amazing. very dangerous. And, and who's the judge of that? That's a good question. That's a very good it's question. It's
0: gonna be them. Um, just to be clear, so this is about just the referendum process, not ballot initiatives. Is it's that also right?
1: ballot initiatives. It's called it's the Referendum Something Act, but it also includes statewide initiatives. And it's a little bit disturbing To think that people will have to, the Secretary of State is supposed to create classes for signature gatherers. They have to go to these classes, presumably, and get their registration number, and then this is all enforced. And how do you enforce what people are saying on the street when they're collecting signatures? The other part of this is it would require a percentage, I think 10%, to be collected by volunteers. Those petitions, I guess, would be a different color or a different something so that that could all be determined, how many volunteers, how many professional signature gatherers. The whole thing is unworkable, probably unconstitutional, but it is coming to us from SEIU because they're so angry about this referendum on the fast food industry.
0: And isn't there some, some um, typically corrupt exemption for union petitions or something? Isn't there some, something that they've carved out to it kind could, of protect themselves? It, it
1: could be. It could be. How they determine who's professional and who's a volunteer. It could could be in the fine print someplace, but that's the general idea. They they want to stop the industry from doing a referendum to reverse a law when they paid good money for those lawmakers to pass that law. They donated. They walked precincts. They knocked on doors. They got their people elected. They got their sponsored bill introduced. They got it through both houses and to the governor's desk. And then, oh, man, there's direct democracy. We can't have that. So they're upset.
0: And actually, just to to sort of underline why this is so important, it's particularly important in the situation that we have today in California. Obviously, you know, it's a situation that we are working to change. But right now, when you have this total monopoly control of, of, of California politics, you have super majorities in the legislature, which means they can pass anything they want um with with on taxes a tax increases anything mm-hmm. because they they totally control it and they and they control statewide offices um this is the only recourse mm-hmm. that people have that is actually. true i mean what else can you do and they what what's really interesting from the people who go go on and on about um you know, our democracy and all the rest of it, and the constantly making complaints about things like the Electoral College or whatever. So if you just look at the the basic numbers, think about this fact that in California, most of the things that actually affect our daily lives are do come from the state legislature, a combination of the state legislature and the governor's office in Sacramento. You know, these are the daily things, you know, like whether that's to do with the economy or education and schools and colleges and healthcare, you know, all it's all at the state level. I know our politics, we often focus at the national level. But really, in in terms of things that affect you, housing, homelessness, all this stuff, social services, whatever, it is state and local government. And increasingly, the state is taking power away from local government in California. So it's really important. Now, let's look at what, what you have in the legislature, super majorities. But that doesn't actually reflect the political composition of California. I mean, even if you take the last governor's race as a proxy, um, it wasn't the sort of 80-20 split, which is basically what you have in Sacramento in terms of political control in favor of the Democrats. It was 60-40. And that's where you had a really well-funded Democrat, Gavin Newsom, really well-known, and a a relatively unknown and poorly funded Republican. And so the state is much closer in terms of its politics than the balance of power in Sacramento. Mm-hmm. So in the sense that you, know, you can say, well, that's not fair, you know, that's not proportional. And so this outlet that is there for the voters to say, actually, we don't want this law that you have forced through because of your corrupt funding from the unions, exactly as you say, it's really important. And now they're trying to take it away.
1: They're certainly trying to, uh, to burden it with additional requirements. And I think yes. these requirements are very disturbing because when you get into policing the content of political speech, which is what this is, uh, I think it's just a tremendously slippery slope. Who, as you said, who's going to decide and who's going to watch and who's going to report it and what's the investigation and how does that affect the willingness of people to be signature collectors? And, and particularly, it has these penalties in it. If you are found to have violated whatever, whatever rules they've set, you can't do this again for five years. You can't be a signature right. collector and you can't hire signature collectors. So they're just trying to completely burden That's and a, perhaps yes. shut down the professional signature collecting industry.
0: And and remember that these have done really you know these things have been really important for example the 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 AB5, right? The gig workers. That was a really big one okay. that was overturned on referendum, wasn't it?
1: It was overturned with another initiative, I believe, to uh, to change it. I don't think it was a referendum. Oh. It was another right. initiative that carved out exceptions for the, um, for the drivers in Uber and, and DoorDash and those companies. Uber and yes. Lyft, uh, and then that was challenged in court. These things can go for a while. Just because they pass at the ballot doesn't mean they take effect. They can be challenged in court on constitutional grounds, and they can be reversed with another initiative, and it's back and forth, back and forth, and it's a very expensive game. It costs millions and millions of dollars to qualify an initiative for the ballot, unless you have just this volunteer army that's willing to do it, uh, it's very expensive. You have a limited amount of time. You have about six months to do an initiative, and I think less time for a referendum. So that's why they pay signature collectors to go stand in the rain. Yes. It's not usually raining, but this year it was. They it, it could go stand in the heat, the rain, the cold, whatever, and, and have a clipboard and a pen and talk to voters outside of a supermarket. Uh, you pay people to do that. That's hard work. Doesn't mean that the that the measure is not worthwhile or valid, and of course, signing it only puts it on the ballot. It doesn't pass it, and then exactly. once it's on the ballot, that's when the real money is spent to educate voters on both sides of that issue. Exactly what it's about.
0: So I just looked it up, by the way, um, and and I was right. I remembered something about this. Okay, he, the, 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 it's amazing. They're so shameless. So the bill, the 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 the, the, the um the, this, the the bill here that they're doing. I'm just quoting from a Wall Street Journal editorial on this. The bill exempts unions so they can rely entirely on paid organizers to collect signatures. There you go. <laughs> if that's something that they want. Right. And It's just shameless. It's just so brazen.
1: You know, their viewpoint is that corporate America is terrible. I don't personally think corporate America is terrible. It's all voluntary, except when they get into bed with the government and they create monopolies. That's a different thing. That's crony capitalism. But real capitalism... Everything's voluntary. And if you don't want to buy the product, don't buy it. And if they want to sell it to you, they have to sell you something of value that makes your life better or you're not going to buy it. So it's all solving problems for money, which creates more money and fewer problems. Capitalism works, but not when it's crony capitalism in bed with the government and it's got this enforced monopoly aspect.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, the way I always used to put it was that, you know, like there's this argument it should be pro-business, anti-business, whatever. I mean, I'm cert- certainly we should be pro-small business because small businesses are the lifeblood of the economy. They create most of the jobs, small and fast growing businesses. That's where the new jobs come from. They're the lifeblood of a community. They have, that's where the energy is. And they're, you know, by their nature, they they can't be corrupt, as it were, because they can't influence, they can't afford the lobbyists to go to Sacramento. So there's no question that we should be 100% behind small businesses. And what you're seeing right now in California is is an absolutely active and and direct war on small business. If you look at the taxes and the regulation and one thing after another, and we need to end the war on small business and support small business, that's certainly true. And the franchisees
1: are small business people.
0: Francis, that's exactly the point so, so exactly so and then on on let's go to on big business i agree with you you know it, and i've documented this and argued against it and written against it when you have big business in bed with big government often they do it to stifle competition that's often what happens and the big businesses Actually collude with and collaborate with the government to put regulations in place specifically to act as a barrier to challenges, and we should be against that right um, and so my phrase there I always say is that when it comes to big we should be pro market right for sure we should be pro market because the marketplace is where you know free and fair competition can happen, and when you have these barriers erected that is anti market and we should should be against that but but this, you know this is When when you look at this kind of one further point on that is that when you see when you see these companies engaging in this kind of, you know, just sort of going along with and buying off criticism by by wholesale adopting the kind of far left, you know, identity, politics, ideology and all of that, you know, I think it's perfectly reasonable to criticize that Um, and so on. But here you've got I mean, what they never say is that on the other side of this, you have the unions are giant organizations with massive lobbying power and all this money that they shove mm-hmm. at the government to get their way. That's how it works in California. And, and so the, so it's the, the way it's, they want to represent it is that the unions are sort of the, 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 the workers against. No, this is not that. These are giant organizations, billions of dollars that they deploy to get their way.
1: Exactly, and private sector unionism is declining. So they are failing in the marketplace they are failing to convince people that unionizing is good for them. And people are looking yes. at it and saying, what are you going to do for me that I can't do for myself or that I can't negotiate with my employer? And they're choosing not to join unions more than ever before. Yes. And so the unions are going to the government and saying, well, we need you to do this and this your, to make sure we that, we can, that we can unionize. And that's what AB5 was, which essentially banned independent contracting. Because you can't unionize independent contractors, you yes. can only unionize payroll employees. So that was a that was a concession by the legislature to the power of the unions to pass that, and then they carved out all these, all these exceptions that had no rhyme or reason other than lobbying and influence, and it's it's an awful law. AB five yes. is an awful law.
0: And then actually, where we were going with that previous conversation, forgot to sort of get to the end of it, which was that exactly as you said. When you, when you, and the fast food sector, which is now the, the, you know, the subject of this kind of tripartite, you know, extreme, you know, left-wing government control and union control of an industry, yeah, you could say, oh, McDonald's, big company, Burger King, and so on, Subway. No, they, they, they are. Of course, it's a big brand, but actually, the vast majority of those restaurants and, and and locations that you go to, they're not owned. By the company at all, they're franchise franchisee owned, and often, you know, th- th- I mean, I don't know the average. ad should be worth finding out, but um, sometimes it's one or two, sometimes it's up to twenty. That's a medium-sized business, you could say. But these are local, local entities, local small, medium-sized businesses. Right. That that you're actually. Um, attacking when you attack McDonald's,
1: and they have their challenges. You know, there's you have to pay insurance costs, taxes are high in California, payroll costs are high, all the different charges that you have to pay for workers' comp and unemployment yes. insurance, which is higher now because of all the nonsense that went on. Uh, there's a, there are a lot of costs, and so here comes this fast food sector council law that says, "Well, you're not paying your employees enough, and we want to change the workplace rules, and we want to do this and we want to do that." And yes. some of these companies with the With the cost of food increasing with inflation and the price pressure because people are squeezed and there's only so much you're going to pay for drive through type food, it creates challenges for the businesses that the government people don't recognize because they've never been in business. Most of them have never been in business. And, And you go to the California legislature and you talk to them about business and it's like, well, you have a cash register, so you're rich they don't understand all the expenses of keeping the lights on and let's even not even talk about the energy costs in California to keep oh the lights on
0: exactly and and as we'll hear from from Congressman O'Banelli in, in in a moment you know the, there's just this this new thing they've added which is this basically this extra federal tax that's being levied because of what the California uh Democrats have failed to do in terms of repaying the federal loans for unemployment support that they should have done mm-hmm. um it's just it's just, you know, it's all so infuriating and, and it's always the people who can afford at least who are hurt the most. That's what's so upsetting about all of it. Um, let's talk. Let's talk about um, Kunalakis, the uh, lieutenant governor. I, 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 I put out on, you know, she, she made her announcement and I retweeted it. This was on Monday this week, so I don't know when people will be listening, but it was on Monday the 24th. Uh, that she made this announcement one day before Biden announced that he's running for a second term. At least his election is, you know, next year. And so his announcement is not that She's announcing for 2026. And I put this out and a lot of people said, who? Who is she? Who is she?
1: Well, she before she was lieutenant governor, she had never held elective office before. She had been a donor, a Democratic donor, and she was appointed ambassador to Hungary and she uh, decided to run for lieutenant governor. I believe she mostly funded through her family, uh, through family money. She comes from a very wealthy family that's in the real estate development business. And she was elected lieutenant governor in 2018, the same time that Gavin Newsom was elected governor. They run separately. It's not like president and vice president mm-hmm. on the same ticket. They're completely separate. Uh, she defeated another Democrat who had the endorsement of the California Labor Federation. So she is not the union candidate, interestingly. Mm. Uh, I think she's starting early because she's going to have to raise a lot of money. It's very expensive to run statewide in a competitive race in California. Uh, Very expensive media markets and a huge population to reach by mail and all of that. So she's starting early. There will be more candidates getting in. We'll see how the uh, Senate race shakes out in 2024. Um, We don't really know what's going to happen there because Katie Porter... Adam Schiff, Barbara Lee, all members of Congress. You can't be on the ballot in, in two races at the same time in California. Mm-hmm. So they can't run for Congress again. They're all out to run for U.S. Senate. If they all run for U.S. Senate, at least two of them are not going to be employed, and they could right. turn around and run for governor. So we'll have to see. It's going to be a, a, a bit of a checkerboard as people jump over each well, other the end in these races.
0: It's a, it's a sort of plum job. Um, uh if you're a Democrat, it's the one you want. Um, I'm just looking at some of the speculation that, as you said, um, the, the, those those people you mentioned might go for it. We've got Rob to the Attorney General. Uh, he, apparently, he is active. He's going to be announcing soon, current uh, Attorney General. Get so early. Senator Tony Atkins?
1: Well, maybe they think that Have there's a chance. Uh, maybe they think there's a chance that Governor Newsom will end up on the national ticket in 2024, yeah. and he'll make an early exit. That could be another reason for starting.
0: But I, I mean, I tried to find out what she was all about, Eleni Kunalakis. I mean, I just couldn't. There's nothing. I mean, there's you know, nothing. there's a website yeah. that says "Give me money." Right. There's, there's nothing. I mean, it doesn't say anything. There's not even a video. I mean, at least, I mean, even Joe, poor old Joe Biden, could put together a video.
1: No, she's a she's a blank slate. The lieutenant governor has essentially nothing to do, uh, and she's been in the job for two terms. She was just elected to her second term. She, this is um, this is a job where all you have to do is be on the board of regents for uh, the California State Universities and the University of California, things like that. A couple of boards and commissions. There's really no there's no job, and she doesn't have to take any positions on anything. Yeah, and she hasn't. So I think uh, she. She has been supportive of Gavin Newsom's general policies on climate, uh, different kinds of um, alignment with basically with the administration's views. She hasn't stood up against any of it in any kind of public way. We don't really know what she would do as governor on water, on power, on everything, on education, on taxes. It's just a blank slate.
0: Yeah, I mean, and and you just got to assume, I mean, whatever she – because she's been there – you know the whole t- would have been there the whole time with gavin that you'd say well it's just newsome getting as you know, the third term of gavin newsome so i think she's just tied to his re-, unless she sort of says something distinctive um that is different that Chatley says well i wouldn't have done this or you know it just feels like it's a completely Weird sort of non-event. I mean, I'm just looking at it again. It, there's nothing. I mean, it's well,
1: just. I, I I'm think you're trying it when to you find speak. out
0: what, what this is all about. Me and and on her website, I mean, I, it's I've never seen anything so thin. There's nothing about what she would do or. It's sort all of bland platitudes about getting things to you know like and and as you know tying herself to what's been going saying everything's great she's been a proud leader for this and that and climate change so she's basically saying yeah everything we you know i've been part of whatever's going on now Mm -hmm. there's nothing about the future and i think the truth is that people in that election i mean it's three i mean okay it's not that far away we do have to get through 2024 i think people want change even democrats want change and certainly independents and of course republicans in california
1: well, I think you get it when you said she just has a website that says give me money because this is the fundraising, the fundraising <laughs> stage of the race. Yeah. And if you're running for governor and you have a credible shot and she starts with about four million dollars in her campaign account from her previous races for lieutenant governor because she didn't have to spend a lot. Um, I think what she's saying is I've I'm a credible candidate. And if you want if you want to have your phone calls returned, if I get elected. You better get in early and be a founding donor. Uh, she created some category for that. So I, I, I just think it's openly just selling future influence yes. peddling types of things. It's it's just fundraising.
0: Yeah, which she knows all about because she, I mean, she's only in politics because she was a donor. Right. I think that's, you know, you that, that's what the um, record shows. Okay, so just last last point on this to you. I mean, do you see, I mean, in trying to sort of be, uh, you know, objective about it. I mean, you know, you and I, you know, we... Everyone knows, you know, we want to see political change. But um, just thinking about the Democrats dispassionately, is there anyone you see in the mix, um, whether it's these, you know, uh, Senate rejects, as they would be, or people like Javier Becerra, who's the federal-level HHS secretary, um, or, you know, this, you know, Kunalakis, or anyone, you know, who's been speculating about, Tony Atkins from the state legislature, Rob Bond to the Attorney General or anyone else on the Democrat side who's, who's being talked about that, that strikes as impressive and who would be, even if we don't agree with their policies, would be a kind of, you know, a kind of impressive candidate.
1: Well, I can't say that I'm personally impressed with any of them. I'm very concerned about California's energy policies. Yeah. I think they're irrational and they're destroying the state. He used to be in slow motion and it's getting faster and faster. I'm very concerned that we have to have rational energy policy, not careening from crisis to crisis and then desperately trying to keep something open at the last minute with a huge influx of taxpayer dollars. That's that's what we did last year in that energy trailer bill. It's like, let's just keep everything open because otherwise we're going to have blackouts. Well, we know we need energy and we know how we can get energy. We have the options that are open to us and we have to be rational about it. And we can't just say, oh, we can't use oil and gas because climate, without having actual evidence that what we're doing makes any difference. Because that's the real question. It's not just, are we worried about climate change? It's, can we have any effect on it? And if we can't have any effect, are we just going to stand on the roof of the building and throw money at the sky? When I hear a candidate get serious about energy policy, I will pay attention.
0: Well, I mean... Forget about that, frankly. <laughs> On the Democrat side, because they're all completely signed up right. to the climate extremism, and they're completely in hoc to the activists. Right. And actually, the more and by the way, I mean, you're completely right, 100% agree in relation to energy. But if the more time I spend looking into every other issue in detail, I mean, I've spent a lot of time recently looking at the housing issue not homelessness which which we have had some great conversations about housing just the, the 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 cost of building a home a house which has been layered on by the extraordinary um, you know regulations that that, that are all trying to meet all these different objectives make it impossible to build anything mm-hmm. and then the layers of cost and complexity and regulation and tax that are put onto business which means that therefore in like every issue actually it's just all Leading us to a situation where I think this complacency that the Democrats have, which is that this great economic engine of California will just keep on going, regardless of how much they try and sort of put, you know, jam it up with their stupid policies. I think I think it's it's it's, there's a looming disaster unless we change course on all these issues. Um, And so I think I don't see anyone who's actually sounding the alarm on the Democrat side to say, actually, you know, we may need to rethink this. They all seem to be completely captured by this kind of far-left extremism.
1: I think that's it's taken true. over the party. I think that's true, and that's very concerning.
0: It is. Well, we, we'll certainly be fighting for the alternative. Um, so, uh, there we go. Susan, great to see you today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Steve. And as promised, here is Congressman Jay Obernolte to tell us about the scandal that we've just touched on with Susan about the federal unemployment uh, scheme that has actually now landed California businesses with a massive tax increase, thanks to the incompetence of the Democrats who run this state. Congressman Urban joins us now. Congressman, thanks for being with us today, but really thank you for highlighting this issue. Um, when I read your piece about this, it, I just it's its I mean, we say this all the time about what's going on in California. It's just unbelievable. You cannot believe that this is how they operate. They're so casual about the daily realities of running a business or trying to do anything in in the state of California. They just pile on the costs and taxes and regulations and endlessly um, do so. And this is actually in a way worse because. It seems to be the result of, of just sheer incompetence. But um, could you just sort of take us through step by step exactly, um, you know, what is the anatomy of this particular scandal?
2: Sure. Well, this problem is a problem with California unemployment insurance. Uh, most people don't realize that there are actually two parallel unemployment insurance systems, a state system and a federal system, uh, the Federal system exists to act as a backstop to the state system. So when a state's local system gets into fiscal trouble, it can borrow money from the federal system, that's called a Title Twelve loan, to Mm -hmm. shore up the finances of the state system. And then the state is supposed to pay that money back when economic conditions in the state improve.
0: So that would be, for example, if there was some kind of particularly severe recession, let's say, in one state or another... And they just couldn't meet the needs, they go to the federal, uh, sure. federal funding or, to help or them. For out.
2: example, temporarily. The, the pandemic. So right. you know, lots and lots of businesses across the country shut down. And that put a lot of stress on the unemployment insurance system of a lot of states. So 22 states, including mm-hmm. California, took loans from the federal government to shore up their system during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, After the pandemic, you're supposed to pay that money back. And in fact, the federal government distributed billions and billions of dollars to the states in the form of coronavirus relief funding with Mm -hmm. the intention that some of that money would be used to repay these loans that were outstanding. But California is one of only four states that has failed to repay its loan to the federal government, and it's now in default on that loan. Mm -hmm. Uh, The law says that when that occurs... Every employer in the state is charged a penalty by the federal government for the state's failure to repay its loan. So normally every employer in the state pays a very small amount of money to the federal government every year in what's called FUDA tax for the federal unemployment tax system. But uh, every year that a state fails to repay that loan, a penalty gets added to that. So in the first year, which we just had, uh, every state in the California has had to pay uh, per employee a penalty to the federal government. Next year that penalty will double and it'll be a triple penalty the year after that, a quadruple penalty the year after that and that occurs and compounds until the loan is completely paid off. So the last time this occurred was the Great Recession when California took out food loans from the federal government and failed to repay them back and uh, it took seven years for the state to repay those loans and by the time they finally did every employer in the state was paying $147 extra per employee per year to the federal government in penalties. So, Steve, the the thing that's so unconscionable about this is these employers that remain forced to pay these penalties to repay the state's loans had nothing to do with the decision to borrow money from the federal government. And in fact, in this case, They had nothing to do with the state's decision to shut down businesses, which is what's resulted in all of that unemployment in the first place. They had plenty of money from the federal government to repay the loan. In fact, uh, the EDD has been found to be guilty of distributing over $30 billion of fraudulent unemployment insurance claims if they had just not done that they wouldn't have to have had to borrow anybody from the federal government just the savings from that alone would have been enough to repay the loan so this this is completely unconscionable what's going on
0: it is. And thank you for, for explaining it so clearly. I think we've, that's a really great explanation of the structure of the problem. It is totally outrageous. And actually, I just want to dive into the details so we can understand, you know, ex- exactly what the exposure is here. So first of all, I'm just curious, the, the, this, the, when you refer to the law, the system that's set up here under le- federal legislation, you said Title 12. So how long has that been in existence?
2: Oh, uh, decades, many decades. decades. This, this is the way the system works. Uh, the, uh, because of our system of federalism, states mm-hmm. are predominantly responsible for employment and labor laws within mm-hmm. their state. So uh, we expect the states to come up on their own with their own unemployment insurance systems. Yes. Federal system exists as a backstop because right. we, we accept that there will be circumstances under which a state won't have enough money to satisfy all its claims.
0: Great. And as you mentioned, you know, this was used, you know, previously in the Great Recession. So let's just stipulate this. This is not some new system that the state may have had trouble understanding. It's been around for decades. It was used in the Great Recession. And as you said, of the, you know, the, the vast majority of the states that used it on this occasion with the pandemic, they've already dealt with it in the proper manner. How can next question was how much is the how much was borrowed by the state of California? What's the total amount?
2: It's about eighteen and a half billion dollars
0: there you are, so as you say, that's a you know roughly just just over half of what they gave out in fraudulent money.
2: right, and think about this. think about the fact that the the state got uh fifteen billion dollars in coronavirus relief funds from the federal government, so right. they could have used that money to almost completely repay their title twelve loans had they chosen to, but instead, they spent it on everything else. And now they're depending on every employer in the state of California repaying essentially what is the state's obligation
0: and so what is what is what is the um, nature of the of the um the contract as it were so are the states supposed to pay back the the full amount the subsequent year, or is there kind, kind of a schedule of repayment?
2: Yes, it's. they have, uh, I believe it's about 18 months to repay that, and they pay interest on it. But then at the end of that period, when they've emerged from whatever fiscal calamity was causing the stress, uh, it's expected that they pay the money back. And that's what the state failed to do.
0: Right. So we, we, we're out of that period now. It should have been repaid in full. Is that right? Yes. Okay. So now let's get to the pain that's being inflicted on California businesses. So the, the the charges that are applied by the federal government, is that for every business regardless of size?
2: Yes, it's, it's imposed per employee. So every business is required to file a form 940 with the federal government, a food tax return every year. Right. Uh, and normally the amount that's due with that return is a very small amount of money. It's about $42 per employee and that just funds the federal part of the system. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, you know, as we've been discussing, if you live in a state that's failed to repay its loans, you get charged a penalty, and that penalty compounds every year that the state uh, is in arrears on its Title 12 loans. So this this will be this this January was uh, every employer in the state had to pay you know the first penalty, and it will double next January, and it will triple the January thereafter. And that will continue to occur until those loans are repaid.
0: So what was the payment, what was the size this January, the first one?
2: Uh, I think it was uh, 20, uh, $21 per employee. Is that what I think it was? Extra. Per, yeah, extra. Extra. But uh, as I said, la- the last time this happened in the Great Recession, it took seven years uh, to get those loans repaid. And by the last year, And I I remember this vividly because I was an employer and I I looked at that tax return. It was $147 per employee. And, uh, you know, and I have 28 employees. You do the math on that. It's thousands of dollars that the state has essentially stolen from every business owner in California.
0: Exactly. I mean, you know, this is what I mean. They're so casual. Oh, well, who cares? We'll pay it back. You know, um, it's only 18 billion, whatever. Now, there's some other facts we should introduce, which is this question of the state's Surplus. This was going on while the state had a surplus that Gavin Newsom was running around bragging about of $100 billion, right?
2: Yeah, just shy. $97 billion surplus the state had last year. So, uh, you know, to your point, which is an excellent one, they could have taken 20% of that surplus and used it to repay their debt, but they chose not to.
0: Yeah, what they did do was was send it out in, in what do they call it? You know, well, bribes, but they're you know, they're to voters, but they called it inflation relief checks or whatever, uh, just before the election. It right. was just so outrageous. What um, What is the, uh, where does the responsibility lie within the state government? Is this, um, I mean, the EDD, of course, um, is in the spotlight because Julie Sue, who ran that, is now, I think she's still in consideration for Labour Secretary, although that's looking a little dicey. Is, is that, where should this have come, whose fault, okay, let's be blunt, right, where does the accountability lie? Yes, Gavin Newsom overall, but within the system, where does it lie?
2: Well, the state legislature writes the state's budget. So mm-hmm. for a payment like this to be made, it would have to be written into the state's budget. And we're in budget season right now in the legislature. It's the state's required to pass a budget by the end of May every year, or the legislators do not get their salary. So, you know, they're highly motivated to do this uh so th- this is what would have to occur it would have to be written into the budget by the legislature and signed by the governor uh, and that would get the the wheels rolling on repaying the loan
0: and and just to be clear this should have been done last year
2: yes it should have been done and, last year
0: and you know as 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 you know i mean we cover it a lot but in in sacramento i mean this budget process is you know the the governor's highly involved in the budget process right the governor lays out the his or her. If we have a female governor, the, the governor lays out their uh, priorities at the beginning of the year. And then there's a revise. And, you know, it's it's. It, I mean, I, I, maybe it's, it's overstating it to say it's a collaborative process. But it's certainly the case that the governor uh, could and should have said, guys, we need to put this money in.
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and in fact, the last time this happened in, in at the end of the Great Recession, uh, I was a member of the state legislature. And in fact, I was vice chair of the budget committee in the assembly and i also served on the joint legislative budget committee so i asked the question in budget committee hearings in two successive years why on earth are you not repaying your title 12 loans Mm -hmm. and the response i got infuriated me the response i got from the edd was well uh assemblyman that we view that debt as an employer obligation not an obligation of the state which is such an arrogant response it blows your mind
0: it is so outrageous this is This is the attitude they just take it so much I mean, look, most of them have never run a business, never started a business. Um, you mentioned you I'd like to hear about your story there i mean i've started and run businesses in England here in California. I mean, you just worry about everything in terms of the financial situation, particularly when you 're small or starting out, and these people who just issue these casual remarks like that, they have no clue about what it's like and the pressure you're under, um, especially if you're in a business you know, like with low margins and like literally every month, every week, you're looking at it and thinking, you know, is our head above water?
2: Right, I, I completely agree. And you know, I, I started my business out of my dorm room at Caltech 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I think back to those days and realize that I knew nothing about workers' compensation insurance, about unemployment insurance, about labor laws, about uh, employee classification, Uh, I I was just a kid, you know, trying to, you know, make ends meet and live in paycheck to paycheck and trying to to grow a business. Uh, I fear that our children will not be able to achieve the same success that we have achieved in starting a business, even if they work every bit as hard as we have worked because of the poor business climate. In yes. states like California. And in fact, I'm sure you're aware there have been recent surveys of CEOs across the country that put California at dead last among yes. the United states in terms of business climate. That is yeah. incredibly destructive to entrepreneurialism. And as you know, most of the jobs that are created come from small businesses, most of those new businesses. So, you know, when you choke off that supply of new, of, of new businesses, of entrepreneurs, you're choking off the ability for people to go out and get jobs. It's this self-fulfilling cycle that's incredibly destructive.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I couldn't have put it better. I so agree with that. And the thing that seems to me to be the case with this generation of legislators and Democrats in charge with their monopoly power in California, plus in the executive branch, is that they really take for granted the incredible legacy that we're living off here in California with the amazing businesses that have been built um, of all sizes that generate a lot of income and wealth for the state, Um, But, you know, bit by bit, they're just being driven out or they're not being started in the first place because of this piling on of all this complexity.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You think about the fact that California was the birthplace of companies like Apple and Google, you know, the the crucible of Silicon Valley uh, that was started with by HP. And now you look at what's happening in the Bay Area where companies are fleeing uh, vacancy rates are outrageously high. Yeah, I mean, the worst, the worst thing to be is a commercial property owner in the Bay Area right now. Um, businesses are fleeing out of California, but also equally importantly, high-income individuals are fleeing out of California. And the reason why that's the uh, canary in the coal mine is that over half of our state tax revenue is paid by less than 1% of the people that live here because the income tax in California is so progressive. Think about that. Over half of it yeah. is paid by 1% of the population of the state. So when those people start leaving, that leaves a huge hole.
0: Yeah, they 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 it's it's they, they literally they're so complacent. They kind of assume that this is just go, going to go on and on. And actually the pandemic is so important in that regard because it showed people that actually you could work from anywhere. And particularly those kinds of, you know, at that end. Of course, the restaurant worker can't work from anywhere, and the and the person that's in the grocery store and so on. That's all true, um, and their housing costs are astronomical because of the stupid regulatory policies. There, we won't get into that today. But the whole thing is just falling apart, actually, and and they they are they're just sort of cruising on, going further and further in a far left direction, making it worse on every single issue.
2: Yes, uh, I mean I think there is some good news, which is that. Uh, I'm actually a California optimist politically because mm-hmm. I think that there's a limit to what people are willing to take. Yes. Most voters have a fairly high-minded view of what the role of government is. You know, they, they accept that government exists to provide certain essential services to our society, things like uh, law enforcement, things like uh, provision of infrastructure, roads, bridges, airports, a provision for the national defense. You know, the, 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 the underpinnings of our connections to each other. And they also accept that to provide those services, government needs to impose taxes. And the way that most voters look at the political spectrum is you've got the folks on the left who believe in more services, bigger government, and the higher taxes to pay for it, and those of us on the right who believe that smaller government is better, lower taxes, and lower services. So look at you know the exact points you've been making with California. This essential social contract has been broken because we pay the highest taxes for everything. We have the highest yeah. income tax in the country, the highest sales tax in the country, the highest gas tax in the country. We ought to have, under this social contract, the best of everything that government has to offer. And yet, we have the worst poverty of any state in the country. We have the worst homelessness of any state in the country. Our roads are uh, second worst of any road system in the country, second only in New Jersey, according to recent data. Uh, our schools are in the bottom 10 percent by any objective measure. Pick one. Graduation rates, matriculation uh, rates, people going to college, uh, anything. So this this fundamental social contract is broken in California. And I think the average California voter is starting to realize that.
0: I think I, I completely agree. That's basically the premise of this show, by the way. And I mean, we focus on California and and the, and, and the movement we're trying to build is all about that, because I think that people really do. You know they are starting to see that you just can't keep going in this direction can we come back to the the issue we started with what's what's sort of um in, in terms of the this the the, the footer the, the federal unemployment um repayments that need to be made what's happening on that um you've raised the alarm um have the, has there been any response is anything happening what do you see
2: no the uh the state can't respond because they're it is indefensible what they are doing yeah uh, you know, in their heart of hearts, I think their response would be the same as the one that they gave to me a few years ago when we had this problem, which was, well, you know, the employers, this is kind of an employer deal because it's unemployment insurance and that starts with the employers. And so we think that it's fair that the employers uh, ultimately repay this. But think about this. It is, it is even more unjust of them to take that point of view now when the actions of the state itself were responsible for the unemployment during the pandemic. The state is the one that made the call on shutting down businesses. It had nothing to do with the business. The businesses uh, couldn't object if they tried, and some of them did, as you know. So, I mean, the businesses were forced to shut down. They were forced to lay off their employees, and now they're being penalized by the state for the, for the, the, (laughs) the state's failure to repay it's unemployment insurance with the uh, unemployment insurance loans with the federal government.
0: And and so you are you t- are you trying to put pressure on um, the the legislature? What what's your what's your um, what can you do about this?
2: Well, I mean, obviously, I serve in the House of Representatives now, so my role is federal. Uh, however, uh, we have sent a letter to the EDD. Uh, mm-hmm. Demanding some answers as to what their plan is for repaying this, why they think it's fair. Uh, as you know, I'm trying to publicize this issue because yeah. unless you own a business, you might not be aware. And in fact, you know, a lot of business owners that I talk to aren't aware. They know that the amount they're paying has gone up, but they didn't really pay attention to yes. why it's, it's going up. Yeah. And when I tell them why it's going up, they are just as, as incensed as I am about that. And so I think that. A greater awareness of this issue is going to help us solve the problem.
0: I think that's exactly right. That you, you can imagine you're busy and you get this thing. Oh, Christ, here's another one. It's just taxes going up. They always go up. It's the Democrats. You know, that's the way it is. But when when you understand the reason for this particular one, it is so infuriating, as you say. I think, I think it's fantastic that you've drawn our attention to it. Um, and I'll do my best to publicize it. Um, thank you for that. Thanks for the call. It was great talking to you. Um, let's stay in touch on, on all sorts of things.
2: Absolutely. Well, Steve, thank you for your help in calling attention to this issue. I know that the business owners across the state would really love to have this uh, this not be a problem for them instead of adding to their costs every single year.
0: Exactly. Congressman, thank you so much. See you soon.
2: Absolutely. Thank you, Steve.
0: Wow. What a great conversation. It is so great, isn't it, when you meet your elected representatives and they are impressive people and I thought that was a very impressive um, person that we just met there, really on top of the detail and the issues. Um, looking forward to having more conversations with Congressman Obernolte. I hope you enjoyed that conversation and all the ones we have here on this show. Uh, make sure you follow us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts and we'll see you back here soon for the next episode of the Steve Hilton
2: Show. Thank you.